Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Spirit, that we would be enabled to receive your word deep within, that we would be drawn up into your presence, that we would know the fullness of your mercy and compassion in the midst of every area of our lives. Guide us, O Lord, upon your path that you have set before each of us, that we would more fully know this redemption that Jesus has brought into this world by his being the light of the world. All of this we do ask through that very same Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus said here at the beginning of chapter 9 that as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Throughout the Gospel of John, there is this continual confrontation between light and darkness. In fact, the very beginning of John's Gospel opens with that confrontation. In chapter, in chapter 1 and verse 4, St. John writes, In Him, in Jesus, the Word was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines into darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's how light is. Have you ever been in a totally blackened room with no light whatsoever and just even the smallest bit of light suddenly makes the whole room feel totally illuminated? Even though it's just a little flicker, it creates a place in that room where things are understood, where things can be seen once more. And it feels like the whole room is lit up even with a tiny bit of light. Paul picks up on that idea in Ephesians 5 today when we hear of him speaking of us becoming light in the world. Isn't it neat how Paul takes a truth about Jesus all the time and brings it to bear upon us? Jesus is the light of the world. We as a church are united to Christ. Thus, we also become light in the world. And we are light because Jesus has shone upon us. And when He shines upon us, He awakens us. And He brings us out of that darkness. He brings us into the newness of His light. He brings us to where He is. Where He overcomes all of the darkness. Because that's what light does. Light overcomes the darkness. And here we see Jesus doing that throughout our passage. Even though Jesus is only at the very beginning and then at the end. In the middle is all about the man born blind being confronted by the Pharisees. But throughout it, Jesus' light is shining and increasing, such that the light of the world that Jesus is, he will overcome all of this darkness. Despite the darkness, darkness's continual attempt to overcome the light. The darkness wants to overcome the light. The darkness wants to overwhelm it. It wants to overtake it. But it can't. Because it is the light of the world. And the light will always overcome. And that's what we see happening here at the very beginning of the passage. That light overcomes the darkness. You see, you have Jesus here walking along and he sees a blind man. And John makes the point of saying he was blind from birth. Congenital blindness. We don't understand it. 
It just simply is. He was blind from the moment he was born. He has never seen color. He has never seen light. He has never seen anything in this world. He has lived in a world of darkness because his eyes cannot see. And his disciples simply ask him, well, who sinned, Rabbi? This man or his parents that he would be born blind. His disciples operating from that oh-so-normal way of thinking about things that if there is a terrible suffering here, then there must have been a terrible sin that caused that suffering. Think of Job's friends, his oh-so-wonderful friends. Job, what did you do wrong? You wouldn't be suffering like this if you hadn't done something wrong before God. Those friends who did such a good job of comforting him for a week after all the disasters overtook him, who just sat with him and mourned in silence for a week. And then they had to open their mouths and start blaming Job for everything that was wrong and accusing him and trying to get him to confess sin when there was nothing that he had done. And what I find so interesting in this moment here is the disciples are questioning Jesus about who is at fault here that would cause this kind of suffering to be in this man's life. Jesus doesn't answer it really. He sidesteps it. He says in verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. Now you have a hint, a layer of why suffering can exist in this world. That part of it is that God might work, that God might work through that suffering, that God might work through those struggles, that brokenness within each and every one of us, whether it's a physical pain and suffering or a mental or emotional pain and suffering where there's a relational pain and suffering. God works through those things. Those things God uses on our behalf. He takes hold of them and He works His life into us. He works His salvation. He works His healing even through those points of suffering in our lives. Jesus says, We must work the works of Him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The light overcomes the darkness by doing the work of Him who sent Jesus. The light overcomes the darkness by doing the work of the Father, by following the path that the Father has set forward for Jesus. As He says, night is coming when no one can work. During that ever so brief moment in time between Good Friday and Easter Sunday when Christ died upon the cross and was in the grave, that was night momentarily overcoming the, the light. Darkness seemed to have won. And in that moment, there was no work happening. There was rest. But nonetheless, as long as Jesus is in this world, He is the light and He must work and He will work. And thus, He heals the man. And He heals him in such a unique way. He makes mud by using dirt in His own spittle. He makes mud and anoints the man's eyes and then sends him to the pool, which means sent. He sends him out to Siloam, the pool, which means sent. And he washed and came back seeing. What's so interesting is that in all of our gospel passages these last three weeks, there's been water, water mentioned. You, of course, have with Nicodemus, you must be born of water and the Spirit. With a woman at the well, if you had known who you were talking to, you would have asked, for living water from Him. You have asked Him for water and He would give you living water. And here, 
We see water in the form of Jesus' spittle, of him spitting on the ground and kneading up and making mud and putting it on the man's eyes. What's so interesting about this as I was reading and studying is that there's a hint in the holiness laws. This is a neat point that I saw here. A hint in the holiness laws that the spittle of an unclean person will bring uncleanness to someone who is clean. And if you're in a state of uncleanness and you spat upon someone, then you may make them unclean as well. But here we see Jesus spitting on the ground and making mud and anointing the man's eyes and bringing him healing when he washes himself. That we see the opposite happening, that Jesus' cleanness brings cleanness to the man. Jesus' holiness brings holiness to him. Those holiness laws, those Levitical laws about holiness and about cleanness give way to the man who is Jesus. That which brings uncleanness actually brings cleanness when it is Jesus doing it. Isn't that how it always works with Jesus? He touches the leper and what happens? Well, we know from the Old Testament cleanliness laws, to touch a leper is to become unclean like the leper. But Jesus touches the leper and the leper is suddenly clean. Jesus destroys the uncleanness by His very cleanness. The woman with an issue of blood, she touches his, Him. And He should become unclean according to the Mosaic laws. But she becomes healed and becomes clean because Jesus' holiness is so great that our holiness and our uncleanness must be pushed aside. That Jesus' very blood being poured out for us is the way of salvation. It is the way that brings us life. It is the way that brings us forgiveness. So the holiness laws give way to Jesus because He is the light of the world. He is the light that has come down from heaven to work in this world. His holiness and His cleanness undoes our unholiness and our uncleanness. As it does for this man removing his blindness, this blindness that he had lived with his whole life as he is cleaned in the water, as he then goes to that pool, again, water involved in the healing, not just as Jesus' spit involved, but Jesus sends him to the waters to be cleaned, to be washed. And coming out of that water, he sees again so much like Naaman, the leper, Naaman, the Syrian, who came down and was washed in the Jordan River. He didn't want to wash He said, we have better water where I'm from. Why do I have to do it here? But his servant said, the man of God said, do it. Is it really that big a deal? Just go do what the man of God has said and see what happens. And so Naaman did, and he was healed of his leprosy by washing. And likewise, between the mud anointing this man's eyes and his washing in the pool, his sight is restored because Jesus works to overcome the darkness. And Jesus brings him healing And the community is confused. The community sees this man and he's like, is this the same guy? Is this the guy that's always begging on the street? And some say, yeah, it is him. And others are like, no, it can't be. He looks like him, but it can't be him. And so they finally asked him, well, what happened? He said, Jesus healed me. The man named Jesus came and he anointed my eyes and told me to wash in Siloam. And I did and I was cleaned and I received my sight. I was made able to see, finally, for the first time in my life, I knew what sunlight looked like. I knew what trees looked like. I knew what people looked like with my very eyes. 
I was healed by this man, Jesus. So the light overcame the darkness and the holiness overcomes unholiness because it is Jesus who brings light into this world. It is Jesus who is overcoming it. We can't do it ourselves. We can't accomplish these healings. We can't accomplish these paths of salvation. But Jesus does for us. And He comes and unites Himself to us and He brings His holiness, He brings His righteousness, He brings His healing to us to undo the work of sin in this world. For ultimately, all of that flows out of sin in the world. That brokenness in our lives, it flows out of the sin that exists in the world. There may be some things that we have done that, yeah, there are consequences for some sins in our lives, but ultimately, in the big grand scheme of things, the suffering and the pain and the hurt is out of the brokenness in this world. But Jesus brings healing to the blind man because Jesus has overcome the darkness. He accomplishes the work of God through the man's suffering. But guess what? That's not the end of the struggles that this man has, for he is then taken to the Pharisees. And here we see the darkness tries to overcome the light. The darkness tries to undo what the light has accomplished here. And now we bypassed most of this section because it's the back and forth between the man and the Pharisees. As the Pharisees accuse the man and they say, how are you seeing? Well, Jesus did it on the Sabbath. That means he's a sinner. He revels in sin. And the man just keeps saying, it was Jesus. This man did it. How can you say that God doesn't listen to him? And finally he says, I don't know. But have you ever heard of a man who was born blind seeing? How can this man Jesus be a sinner? How can he be one who revels in sin? How can he be one who makes a practice of sin? If God listens to him, if God brings this kind of radical healing into my life, how can you, how can you doubt who he is? How can you doubt that he does come from God? And it's an irony here in verse 24, when the Pharisees go back to the man and they bring him back after interviewing his parents, they say, give glory to God. When we know that Jesus is a sinner, give glory to God, but you can't point at Jesus because we know he has to be a sinner. He, we know he revels in sin because he healed you on the Sabbath. Because they take their law more seriously than God's law. That's what happens when the darkness tries to overcome the light. It takes more seriously man's way of doing things. It takes more seriously what man wants to do. How man wants to fence the works of God. They created all kinds of rules about work on the Sabbath. You could only walk so far. You could only do certain things. They made sure to have laws that said you could, you could heal someone, but only if it was necessary to save their life. If the person wasn't about to die, then don't, don't, you can't do anything for them. Because that's work. They had fenced in God's law. They created laws. You couldn't anoint eyes on the Sabbath for some reason. Or that was considered work. You couldn't need bread on the Sabbath because that's work. And so some think maybe that's what they're pointing at. Jesus spat on the ground and he worked the mud up and he kneaded it together into a nice ball and put it upon the man's eyes. But in their view, Jesus broke the Sabbath. By their laws, by their reckoning, by their interpretations, by their creating other laws, Jesus broke the commandments. 
And thus, he is one who revels in sin. He is one who makes a practice of sin. That's why they keep going back and saying the man is a sinner. Because what they mean is to call someone a sinner is to say you revel in it. You practice it. You always pursue it. You don't turn away from it. Because they don't mean just simply that he commits sins. Because if that's what they meant, then they're sinners too, just like Jesus. But that's not what they mean. They know that they commit sins, but they know that they admit it and they go and do their proper sacrifices. They make everything right. They're focused on what they can do to get away from their sin. They're focused on what they can accomplish. They're focused on how good they act, how proper they behave, how they avoid even the slightest look of breaking the law. They avoid all kinds of things with their own human laws so that they can accuse others of sin. And ultimately, that's where they go. They accuse the man born blind of being born in utter sin when they can't go against what he has said about Jesus as he keeps giving glory to God by giving the credit to Jesus. They say, well, you're just a sinner. You were born in utter sin. Get out of here. Leave us alone. Go away. They reject him even though he's inviting them to be disciples. I love that. When they, when they ask, how did he open his eyes? He's like, I've told you. Or, do you want to be his disciple too? I love that in verse 27. Do you also want to be his disciples? And they got mad. And that's when they started talking about Moses. We follow Moses. We're disciples of Moses. We understand Moses. All along being blind to who Moses points to. The darkness blinds itself more and more in their hearts. That they can't see that Moses was always pointing to the greater one, the greater prophet, the greater Messiah, the greater anointed one who would bring salvation into this world, who would undo the very sins that the Ten Commandments are pointing out in their lives. That the Ten Commandments wasn't a list of, here's ten ways that you can earn your salvation. No, the Ten Commandments are, here are ten ways that you are separated from God. That's part of your entire life. But I, God, am going to overcome that. That's why it starts off with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. That God has established His covenant with the people and He shows them why they need that covenant. Yes, they are called to live out those Ten Commandments, to avoid doing those things and to do the opposite of what the commandments talk about. But ultimately, at the foundation, those commandments reveal why they need God to bring them out of slavery is because those are the very things that they continually go back to break. Have no other gods before me. We go back to our idolatry. Honor the Sabbath and we go about doing everything that we're not supposed to do on the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother and we go about reviling the authorities that God has given us for our good. We constantly break those commandments. Our heart rejects them. The darkness pushes back against them. But here the Pharisees claim to be disciples of Moses when Moses was discipled by Jesus himself. And now here is Jesus standing before him, the one who discipled Moses and who Moses spoke of being the great prophet to come. And they are blind to it. They cling to that discipleship, rejecting what it is that Moses was speaking of. And that is where we see how the darkness does not comprehend or overcome the light now. As we saw the light overcome darkness and healing the man born blind, we see the darkness react back by trying to undo, by trying to overcome and break the light. 
But we ultimately see that the darkness fails. Darkness does not comprehend or overcome this light. The man born blind doesn't back down. He keeps pointing at Jesus. He keeps giving the glory to God by giving it to Jesus. He reminds them that God doesn't listen to sinners, but God listened to Jesus. It's all about what Jesus has done. And so they cast him out and he goes on about his business. And Jesus hears about it and goes and finds him. And asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he said, who is he that I may believe? And Jesus said, you have seen him and it is he who speaks to you now. And he can only say, Lord, I believe. And he worships him because the darkness can't overcome the light. The darkness can't overcome it. And Jesus reveals himself more fully to the man who was born blind but now sees. He was given the gift of physical sight. His eyes were open and he could finally see again. But that gift of physical sight awakened his inward sight. It awakened his spiritual sight and began to give him faith that finally finds its fulfillment in meeting Jesus and encountering Jesus and looking upon Jesus and being questioned by Jesus. His spiritual eyes are fully opened and he believes and trusts and worships this man who has healed him. He is already understanding the reality, but here he receives the full vision and he responds with worship. He responds with the worship of Jesus. And this is where we see that the darkness cannot overcome the light because it cannot comprehend the light. For Jesus says He came for judgment so that those who don't see can see and those who see may become blind. That those who think they see, who think they understand, that they will be hardened in heart because they will encounter the true mercy of God. Because they can't comprehend how God could be that merciful, how God could be that compassionate, how God could actually come down into this world incarnate as a man and fulfill all righteousness before the Father. They remain in darkness and refuse to see because they can't comprehend it. And thus they are left with their guilt. And the Pharisees ask, are we blind then? He says, well, if you were, you would not be guilty. If you were blind, you would be, it would be understandable why you stumble, why you fall, why you misunderstand. But you say you see because you know Moses. Because you say you see and that you know Moses and yet you reject the one Moses spoke of, you remain guilty. You remain lost in your guilt until you recognize and comprehend what the light is all about. And so the man born blind, who was blind, but now sees his struggle throughout this passage. The darkness tried to overtake him. The darkness tried to undo the light. The darkness tried to pull him away from Jesus. But he remained firm, committed to the light, drawing near to the light, because he had been strengthened all of his life in preparation for this moment, that the work of God might be seen in him that the glory of God would shine through him by the work of Jesus. The darkness tried to overcome the light. It stands against the light given to the Pharisees, given to the man born blind. The light stands against it, but the man born blind 
sees the reality. He comprehends the light for He is pulled out of the darkness. That darkness works in the Pharisees and drives them to resist the light, to turn away from the light, to push back against the light. And that darkness of sin within these Pharisees will drive them and to even try to throw down the light in the end. For that is where they go. They ultimately try to throw down Jesus. They have Him crucified. And darkness seems to win the day. Darkness seems to overcome the light. But God being God, the Father was planning all along for that to happen. He was planning for the appearance of, lo- of darkness overcoming the light. But letting His Son be put to death. And in that, He accomplishes His salvation. He takes that which sin attempts to do to Jesus and uses it for our good. The darkness attempted to overcome Jesus, to crush Jesus, but Jesus undoes the darkness. Through that suffering of Jesus, redemption is brought to us. He came down into the midst of the darkness and overcame it. He works through the darkness bringing His light forth and the Father overcomes it and brings good to the whole world. It's like what Joseph said about what his brothers attempted to do to him. They sold him into slavery in Egypt for years and years and years. He suffered. He was in jail. He was in prison for years. He was accused of doing evil and was imprisoned for it. But through all of that, he came out to be used by God to be the salvation of His people. And He told them, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. You meant to harm Me, but God was going to use your attempts to hurt Me to bring about your salvation. Joseph could see that. He could see that his brothers wanted him dead, but God used their hatred to put Joseph in a place to bring salvation to his whole family. Likewise, what sin intends to do to us, it intends evil. It intends to harm us. It intends to destroy us. But God intends it for our good. He intends to use that darkness, that pain, that suffering to bring us to Himself. He uses all of that to drive us to Himself. He uses all of it to bring glory to us, to bring glory to Himself and shine that glory upon us as the light of Jesus. Sin wants to crush us. The darkness wants to overcome us. Sin says, I intend you harm, but God says, I intend you good. And I will take the darkness and overcome it. He takes hold of it in His manifold wisdom and He uses it to reveal Himself to us. It may not make sense in the here and now. Most of the time it doesn't. But when we look at the long arc of redemption When we look at the long arc of eternity, we see the glory to be revealed. We see that Jesus is the pinnacle of our salvation, that we look to Him, and if we're united to Him, then we will participate with Him. All else pales when we see the glory of Jesus and us being fully united to Him in a renewed humanity. In the resurrection of the dead, God brings us to Himself and He reveals Himself through us and He makes us whole finally. He strips sin out of us and out of the world when Jesus returns. And God can do that because He is the all-wise God. He is the one who, in His wisdom, incarnated His Son. The second person of the Trinity. The second person of God had came down to earth and suffered 
on our behalf suffered all kinds of pain, who suffered evil, who suffered having sin placed upon Him by the Father, that that darkness would be overcome, that the darkness would be undone. And so what sin and darkness and evil intend to do us for harm, God undoes and brings about our good in the end. He brings us into unending life through the resurrection of the dead. He brings us into His glory, into participation with Him, into receiving the fullness of His life through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And as we walk this dark, shadowy path, following the light that we have been given in Jesus, the darkness will attack, the darkness will fight, the darkness will be harsher toward us day in and day out as we walk this path, but it will not overcome the light. It will not overcome the light of the world, for the light of the world is in control, He is in charge, and He has overcome that evil. He has overcome the darkness completely through His death and resurrection. And His light shines upon us. And where His light shines, there is renewal. And where there is renewal, the darkness will not win. And where the darkness will not win, the light shines even brighter. And it shines upon us always. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.